Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, September 5th. Welcome back from a long weekend and a, I hopefully, a short work week for all of you. This is the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And we will pay tribute today uh, to a music legend we lost over the weekend, Jill. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> How's that? We're all feeling that uh, at the beginning of a new work week, a little Jimmy Buffett. Uh, Jill, uh, I understand you were playing it on repeat this weekend. I was, and my son was bopping around in his high chair to it. He loved it. I do want to, though, give a shout out to your T-shirt, which I'm very into. And is this? are you telling us something? For anyone who's not watching on YouTube, it reads... It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything it's, okay, Mosh? <laughs> it's actually a t-shirt I got at the beginning of COVID. Uh, <laughs> one of our uh, big listeners here, one of our big supporters is Mary Barnes. She runs a business called The Shop Forward. And this is one of the t-shirts that they sell. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. And I feel like it really applies to what we do on a daily basis, Jill. One of us should always just be wearing a I'm fine. It's fine t-shirt. <laughs> I love it. Okay, with that, let's get to some news. What the what happened at Burning Man this weekend? Thousands of people have finally been allowed to leave. We'll explain. It is the unofficial end of summer, and it's also the time that voters say that they start to pay attention to presidential politics. We'll look at some new poll results that show a potential Biden-Trump rematch could be a nail-biter. A story getting a ton of play on our Instagram feed. A new study shows that female surgeons have better outcomes than their male peers. Overseas, Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin plan to meet in Russia. What is on the agenda? And against all odds, more mothers with young kids are working than ever before. Plus, we said goodbye to two legends this weekend, Jimmy Buffett and Smash Mouth's Steve Harwell. Plus, Moshe's on the same history. A little Waffle House, a little Aerosmith, a little Paul Simon for you today, Jill. Okay, let's start with the drama at the Burning Man Festival over the weekend where more than 70,000 attendees got stranded because of the weather. Muddy roads left tens of thousands of partygoers stranded for a couple of days at this counterculture festival in the northern Nevada desert. State authorities had to be briefed over the holiday weekend, as did leaders at the White House, including President Biden, in case emergency actions needed to be taken. So in case you're unfamiliar, Burning Man is this festival where people build their own tents in a dried up lake basin and bring their own food and drinks. Jill, you're forgetting the drugs. There's some drugs (laughs) and some music as well. I know a few people have gone. They say it's like this life changing thing. And people who go love talking about it, which is kind of part of what's been the joke uh, of what's happened over the weekend. Okay, so here is what happened. More than half an inch of rain fell on Friday. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it caused flooding and foot-deep mud because half an inch is equivalent to what the area of desert gets over a couple of months. And because of the dust in the desert, it makes it nearly impossible for most vehicles to drive through the mud. Okay, so what this meant is that authorities had to basically closed the festival off to vehicles, which meant that people were trapped there uh, with whatever goods they had brought. So whatever food they had brought, if you ate it, (laughs) I don't know what you (laughs) did. Whatever was left, because keep in mind, this is a 10-day festival and this was the end of it. Um, But the ground did finally dry up enough by Monday afternoon um, to allow authorities to lift this lockdown and let festival attendees begin their exodus. 
Burning Man organizers say they did start to let traffic flow out of the main road at about 2 o'clock local time yesterday. That's 2 p.m. But as of Monday afternoon, they said about 64,000 people remained at the festival site. Organizers also asked attendees not to walk out of the Black Rock Desert as others had done throughout the weekend, including celebrity DJ Diplo and comedian Chris Rock. A video of the celebs allegedly walking six miles and hitchhiking a ride out of there went viral on social media. I was just scrolling on Instagram and I'm like, is that Chris Rock? And then I'm like, wait a minute, he's at he was at Burning Man? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why was he even Burning there? Burning Man attracts a whole wide variety of people, um, Jill. This began originally in San Francisco in 1986 uh, and has gradually grown over time. They take out this lake basin. They show up there annually. People, it changes their lives. There's a little bit of everything for everybody there, Jill. I mean, there's everything from an orgy tent to celebrity DJs to uh, apparently there's a kids area too. Some people bring their small children to a kid family friendly part. There's various encampments. You got to choose what uh, organization you're with or what camp you're with. And then it could cost you hundreds, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars to partake in Burning Man. So you have seen uh, tech CEOs. You have seen, uh, I saw this one in particular had Grover Norquist, uh, the conservative economic guru, uh, happened to be there. Of course, Chris Rock is also there. So it really attracts a little bit of everybody to this part wilderness camping, part avant-garde performances, part wild outfits and fashion, uh, a little bit of everything. Now, the event is in this remote area. It's supposed to emphasize self-sufficiency. So amid this flooding, everyone's like, well, you know, you guys are there self-sufficient anyway. Can you deal? Uh, but they weren't able to clean the porta-potties. Apparently, at one point, they were telling people to conserve their water and food. Jill, this is basically a half an inch of rain made the area muddy and really <laughs> caused people to be trapped there for maybe 36 hours in a place they already brought food and water and whatever because, again, you're in the middle of of a dried up lake basin. Uh, there have been issues in the past. There were dust storms back in 2018 that temporarily closed the festival. Uh, and if you read the quotes from people and you see the interviews, most people there were taking it in stride. Uh, the AP quotes a couple people, including Cindy Bishop, uh, says the spirit in there was really like, we're going to take care of each other and make the best of it. Another woman, Rebecca Berger, a photographer from Philly, who was there on her first Burning Man said everyone just adapted, sharing RVs for sleeping, ordering food and coffee. I danced in foot deep clay for hours to incredible DJs. So there you do. You get a sense of, of uh, what was actually taking place there. Now, again, there were concerns at a national level that if the rain kept going, they would have to figure out how to evacuate tens of thousands of people. At the same time, our long national nightmare is over, <laughs> so to speak. So I wrote that on Instagram, and then some people are like, our nightmare is not over. Now all these Burning Man people will have to hear them talk about this experience for the next weeks, months, years to come. You posted this, I think, on the Instagram account. The comedian Sam uh, Morill, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, wrote on Twitter, aka X, being trapped at Burning Man seems almost as bad as being trapped in a conversation with someone who went to Burning Man, which is kind of like, I, I think that the reason this story picked up so much traction amongst people who were not at Burning Man. Schadenfreude. Exactly. Yeah, people took pleasure in the Burning Man's pain. Sort of Burning Man people are kind of like, if you know a CrossFitter in your life, they love talking about it. Uh, Burning Man people are tend to be the same. All right, now on to some politics. Now that we're past Labor Day, the traditional time voters start to pay attention to the presidential campaign. 
Uh, we are now less than 20 weeks before the first voting in the Iowa caucuses, which I know sounds crazy to people uh, who don't live in this country, <laughs> that, that our election last two years. Yeah, two years. And by the way, that Iowa voting is still 10 months before general election voting. Because as I'm saying it, I'm like, we're less than 20 weeks before. I, I mean, there's <laughs> zero urgency here. <laughs> anyway, we did get this new poll over the weekend from The Wall Street Journal. And we have a sense of the challenge ahead for President Biden. According to the poll, voters overwhelmingly think that Biden is just too old to run for reelection. They give him low marks for handling the economy and other issues that are important to their vote. Although the candidates are only three years apart, 73 percent of voters said they feel that Biden, who turns 81 in November, is too old to seek a second term, compared with 47 percent of voters who said the same of Trump, who turns 78 in the spring. And interestingly, amongst Democrats, two thirds say that Biden was too old to run again. The negative views of Biden's age and performance in office help explain why only 39 percent of voters hold a favorable view of the president. In a separate question, 42% said that they approve of how he is handling his job, well below the 57% who disapprove of how he's doing his job. And this is the big number here. Biden is tied with former President Trump in a potential rematch of the 2020 election, with each holding 46% support in this head-to-head matchup, while pointing to a large set of challenges that Biden faces in persuading voters that he deserves re-election, Polling also finds weaknesses in his likely opponent. Voters in the survey rated Trump as less honest and likable than Biden. And a majority viewed Trump's actions after his 2020 election loss as an illegal effort. Yeah, Jill, this all reinforces the conversation we had on the pod last week about third party opportunities, third party chances. And keep in mind that 46-46 head to head uh, doesn't involve a major third party candidate, which could happen next year. The survey was conducted by a Republican Democratic polling team, uh, and they found that, quote, the following, voters are looking for change, and neither of the leading candidates is the change they're looking for. I think if you talk to most Mo News listeners, they have been telling this this for more than a year now. This shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Uh, as far as specifics here, Trump v. Biden, by an 11-point margin, more voters see Trump rather than Biden as having a record of accomplishments as president. 40% say Biden has an accomplished record. 51% say Trump has an accomplished record during his time as president. By an eight-point margin, more voters said Trump has a vision for the future versus Biden. That probably speaks to the age issue you mentioned, Jill, because Trump also spends a lot of his time focused on the past. So it's interesting that more voters think that he has a vision for the future. Uh, by 10 points, uh, voters described Trump is more mentally up to the presidency than Biden. 46% said Trump is uh, mentally ready to take on the presidency. 36% say the same of Biden. Like you said, Biden is viewed more favorably uh, than Trump on some personal characteristics. 48% of voters say Biden is likable compared with only 31% Trump. Uh, 45% of voters say Biden is honest. Only 38% say the same for Trump. So personality here, Biden wins. Policies here, Trump wins. Uh, either way, uh, I found notable over the weekend, Nikki Haley, one of the Republicans running against Trump, was on CBS. And she's been really pushing on this theme for a while, that these leaders are too old, that our choices are too old. And this does come in a week where we saw the latest Mitch McConnell health scare last week, where he froze 
Mitch McConnell, just a few months older than Biden. And notably, Biden commented, no, he's fine. He's doing, he's doing great. <laughs> Biden on Friday, it's a it's a bite that's getting a lot of views on our Instagram account. It was like, I spoke with Mitch McConnell. He's an old friend. Emphasis on old. Uh, from the uh, Senate, we spoke. He's cool. I'm cool. Let's move on, America. Anyway, here's Nikki Haley, who uh, talked about letting a new younger generation take over on CBS. I want this for Republicans and Democrats. I want to make sure that they all know it's time to go. There is a reason the American people want term limits. It's because they don't want people staying there forever. They don't want people drunk on the power. They don't want people to think they're the only ones that know how to run Congress. So she's pushing this bipartisan. You know, she said that like Mitch McConnell has accomplished some things, but it's time for him to go. It's time for Biden to go. It's time for Trump to go. Uh, Keep in mind, you know, Nikki Haley's in her early 50s and we have huge challenges ahead of us. And she thinks that this argument, this generational argument, which, by the way, is also being made by Vivek Ramaswamy on the Republican side, uh, is something that will gain traction in the coming months. Most the new poll numbers come out. It's not looking great for Biden. I'm sure his team sees these numbers. I'm sure Biden is seeing these numbers. Is there anybody on the inside, do you think, saying to him, look, maybe just one term is enough. Move aside, save your legacy. I mean, if he wasn't running again, I think people would probably have a more favorable view of his presidency. At least that's what the numbers seem to indicate in the polling. So is there anyone you think that's pushing him at this point? And do you think it's inevitable that he's going to run? Or do you think potentially he might drop out? I think the conversation was had a year ago. The conversation was had last October, November. I think what happened was, you know, it was going to be up to Jill Biden, basically the first lady being like, Joe, it's time to hang up. Now, what happened if we recall, it wasn't so long ago, the midterm elections happened. And we all thought, including the Democrats, that they were going to get spanked, right? They were going to lose the House. They did lose the House, but only by four seats. They didn't lose the Senate. So it looked like a stronger than expected showing for Democrats. Well, Biden took credit for that. He's like, well, that's me. People love me. Um, And Biden clearly himself feels up to it. Jill doesn't say no. It appears Jill says, you know, Joe, I think you're up to it. And so that is what led to his announcement in the spring. Now, I think most Democrats were holding out hope that he was going to be done. But no one wants to tell the president, it's time to hand over the keys here. Uh, That would be Chuck Schumer. That would be Nancy Pelosi. That would be Barack Obama. You know, that would be Bill Clinton, perhaps. But really, it'd be Obama, Pelosi, Schumer. I mean, other kind of like senior leaders of the Democratic Party through either talking to him or through strategic leaks to media outlets are the way for them to do it. Now, Biden likes to say, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. That's his way of saying, like, I might not be perfect, but think (laughs) about the alternative. And so he's just like, look, against Trump, I could totally smack that guy. I could be like, and he thinks Trump, you know, who he beat in 2020, that he is the person preventing Trump from reentering the White House. And it is his duty on this earth to prevent another Trump presidency. And as far as Democrats are concerned, again, you ask them privately, they want him out. They also think Kamala is a disaster. They want both of them gone. Uh, At this point, there's not much anyone can do, minus him having a Mitch McConnell-like health scare, where he freezes like that in public. And that's the big fear of every Democrat, because you lose your opportunity to replace him in about six months, right? The primaries are in the spring. Uh, You get the convention next summer. 
You could have an open convention. I mean, anything is possible. But how does he get through those three debates against Trump next fall if they happen? How does he hold his own and convince the country that he can hold his own there? Can is he up to it? Unclear. And that's what keeps Democrats, you know, awake at night. I heard some analysts saying that Trump's decision to skip the primary debates, the GOP primary debates, does that give Biden an opening to say, you know what? Voters know who I am. I'm not debating this guy. And does he decide to skip him? Yeah. I mean, by the way, right now, the RNC doesn't want to partake because they think, you know, Trump thinks that the moderators are biased in the general election debate. So we could have our first election in 40 plus years without presidential debates because the two of them both don't want to partake. (laughs) Uh, and that, that, I mean, listen, uh, you again, next fall, America chooses between a 78 year old and an 81 year old to lead us for four more years into the future. Good luck, America. All right, Joe, we have a lot more to get to, including today's speed read, but want to talk about our new sponsor this week in multiple languages. Te gusta este podcast? Sí, muy bien. Jill, I'm just starting to learn Spanish with the help of our newest partner, Babbel. Obviously, the best way to learn a language is through immersion, living where the language is spoken natively, using it every day. Well, the second best way to learn a language, Babbel. Because with Babbel, you can start speaking a language in just three weeks. I'm going to keep working on my Spanish. It's been something I've been hoping to learn for years. And with the help of Babbel on the go, uh, in the car, etc., I can go through their very easy 10-minute lessons. They're designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language again in just three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, so it's very practical, uh, not like that junior high or high school a language class you might have taken where everything was very kind of into the weeds of grammar. This is very practical. It takes you into scenarios where you can uh, start to practice the language. So it's things like ordering food, asking for directions, speaking to merchants. Obviously, in many countries around the world these days, more and more people speak English. At the same time, it's really important to learn a language, especially if you're outside of cities or in certain countries where still English is not that prevalent. So with over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is real language learning for real conversations. And right now they're partnering with Mo News for a special deal, a limited time deal for our listeners. You can get started right now. You'll get 55% off your Babbel subscription. That is Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L. Again, 55% off for Mo News listeners. Head over now to babbel.com slash monews, B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash monews. That 55% off, that means it's just about $6 a month to learn a new language, uh, depending on what package you pick. One more time, that website is babbel.com slash monews, B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash monews. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, time now for the speed read. Let's start with the story getting a ton of attention on our Instagram feed this weekend from Stat News. A new study published last week in JAMA Surgery suggests that patients treated by female surgeons have lower rates of adverse long-term outcomes after surgery, including death, compared to similar patients treated by male surgeons. For the study, long-term is defined as any outcome within a year. The new study builds on previous research that had similar findings about patient outcomes related to the sex of the surgeon But within 30 days, which is the traditional time period used to examine surgical outcomes, researchers looked at data between 2007 and 2019 in Canada, including more than a million patients 
who underwent one out of 25 possible common elective or emergent surgeries. A total of 151,000 patients were treated by a female surgeon and about a million were treated by a male surgeon. Patients treated by male surgeons were 25% more likely to die within 90 days and 24% more likely to die within a year compared to patients treated by female surgeons. Most those numbers are not insignificant. Uh, Similarly, patients treated by male surgeons were 5% more likely to be readmitted to the hospital within 90 days and 4% more likely to be readmitted within a year. Yeah, even though the female surgeons were a smaller subset, 700 female surgeons compared to 2,300 male surgeons, a difference was still seen here. They ran the percentages, uh, and that's where you're getting these figures. And it comes as we got a second study last week, also published in JAMA Surgery, that was focusing on 150,000 patients in Sweden who underwent gallbladder surgery. In that Swedish study, They found that patients under the care of female surgeons experienced fewer surgical complications, including bile duct injuries, compared to their male counterparts, though they did find that the surgeries lasted longer under female surgeons, but they did find more positive post-operative outcomes. Essentially, the study here is saying that slower the better. The female surgeons operated more slowly. They were less likely to switch from laparoscopic to open surgery, and therefore their patients experienced shorter stays in the hospital post-care. So in the race here between the female tortoise and the male hare, the female tortoise wins. And so they found better outcomes here, both in Canada and in Sweden, in these two different studies. As far as what female surgeons are doing right here, what are they doing uh, to lead to these better outcomes? Well, among the things they found, differences in communication, practice style, and the physician-patient relationship, the types of questions female surgeons are asking versus what male surgeons are asking. Jill, we got a number of notes from people in the medical profession, as well as people who were operated on by both women and men. Uh, And one of the things that I found interesting from a few different people inside of medicine, uh, including people who teach doctors, is they find that a lot of times male doctors or male surgeons will say they know how to do something, even when they don't, whereas women are much more honest and are willing to ask for help and also admit when they don't know how to do something. And you can see why that a type of characteristic might be helpful in, say, uh, a surgery. Yeah, fake it till you make it. I, I get it. Like, <laughs> if you want, people have said that to me, you know, a TV anchor, when it's kind of like you're just yeah. reading from a teleprompter, not to diminish the importance of, of my job, um, but not necessarily with surgery. Thanks. Yeah, so it, it, it's interesting because I also got a note from somebody who works in veterinary care, and they find the same thing among male veterinarians versus female veterinarians. Ah, oh, no, I've done that. I, I can figure that out. <laughs> versus the women who are more tense, say, you know what? I haven't done that before. We're going to take an extra moment here to dig into that. So uh, it was very interesting. At the same time, it is very tough to recruit women to a number of surgical fields because of the time commitment, because of the lifestyle associated with it. So you do tend to find more men, especially in certain types of surgery, than women because of the schedule, because the toll it takes on your family. Uh, But these studies reinforce that we have to find a way to get more women into these professions. Or make men better surgeons. And and I don't mean to be flippant by saying that. Maybe culturally something needs to change in the profession where where perhaps they're encouraged to admit when they don't know how to do something. Ask for directions, guys. Ask for directions, <laughs> even in the operating room. It's interesting. This was a conversation we had last fall um, with Julia Borston, who wrote a book, When Women Lead, 
uh, that's on the podcast feed. If you if you dig into it, uh, we can actually link to it in the show notes. And she talks about why women are also better in the boardroom and better as CEOs because they tend to ask these types of questions uh, and have certain uh, styles that men typically don't have. And that's what leads to successes outside of the medical profession as well. All right, switching gears from the New York Times, North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un plans to travel to Russia this month to meet with President Vladimir Putin to discuss the possibility of supplying Russia with more weaponry for its war in Ukraine. That is according to American officials who are monitoring the situation. In a rare departure from his country, Kim would travel from Pyongyang, North Korea's capital, probably by armored train to Vladivostok on the east coast of Russia. Jill Un tends to be very paranoid. Uh, Even if it means traveling to Southeast Asia, he will take a train for several days. So once in Russia, he would meet with Putin and potentially also go to Moscow as well. Putin wants Kim to agree to send Russia artillery shells and anti-tank missiles And Kim would like Russia to provide North Korea with advanced technology for satellites and nuclear-powered submarines, according to the officials. Kim is also seeking food aid for his impoverished nation, where a very large percentage of people are malnourished. So back in June, Kim sent Putin a message on Russia's National Day in which he pledged to, quote, hold hands with the Russian leader and promise that the Russian people would have North Korea's full support and solidarity for their all-out struggle. Uh, We're talking about two very isolated nations here uh, as Putin has become even more isolated and needs this replenishment of weapons. He's looking to, you know, the Hermit Kingdom, this like North Korea uh, for help here. Uh, this has sort of been the issue for Russia. They're looking at Iran, they're looking at North Korea, basically all the outcasts globally, like, hey, can you help us? Because uh, most of the world will not send us what we need here. China has been warned by the US not to provide lethal aid to the Russians. Now, while the Chinese have supplied the Russians with what they call dual use technology, technology that both will help civilian and military uses, they have not yet sent drones or heavy weaponry from Beijing to China, despite you know, all the glad handing and the handshakes, etc. Hence, again, why Putin is looking at North Korea. Iran has supplied Russia with drones uh, and also helped them build a drone factory. But the U.S. has been warning Iran, too, like, hey, I know you guys want to have a good relationship with us at some point. Can you please not send them missiles? And so far, they have not supplied ballistic missiles to the Russians. Meanwhile, while we're talking about all of this, Ukraine is replacing their defense minister. Zelensky, the president in Ukraine, announced this over the weekend, saying, quote, new approaches are needed in the 18-month war. Uh, This does come, though, as there's been a wave of dismissals in Ukraine, especially in the defense ministry related to a corruption scandal. Uh, The former defense minister, the one who's on the outs, is named Reznikov. Uh, Now, he hasn't been directly implicated in mishandling of military contracts, but there have been calls for him to resign because of corruption in the overall ministry. And this, again, is against the backdrop here of the West, the U.S. giving aid to the Ukrainians, all while knowledge that there is corruption within these Ukrainian ministries. And so Zelensky is trying to clean house here. Uh, He's hoping to have this new defense minister installed um, ASAP by his parliament, uh, get beyond this corruption scandal. And it comes as Ukraine steadily is making bit by bit, mile by mile progress against Russia. Putin still occupies about 18% of the country. But there is feeling in the last couple of weeks that Ukraine is getting a bit of momentum. From Axios, defying all expectations, the percentage of women in the workforce with young children 
is significantly higher than it's ever been. That's according to a new report from the Brookings Institution. In June, 70.4% of women with children under five were in the workforce, compared to a peak of 68.9% for the pandemic. According to Lauren Bauer, a fellow at Brookings who co-authored the report, In labor force participation rate terms, that is really big. The paper looked at participation rates for all women, those with elementary school-aged kids and those with teens. No other categories have rebounded past their pre-pandemic levels. The numbers surprised researchers who did worry that the pandemic would push more mothers out of the workforce. More research still needs to be done, but it looks like a big factor is remote work, which enabled more women to stay attached to the workforce. Yeah, it's significant here that this is women with kids under five. And this could represent what they're calling a, quote, level shift for working mothers with potential lifetime consequences in terms of higher earnings and improved career trajectories. That break for kids often really kills earning power. You know, you often will see how many cents in the dollar women make to men. And that average takes into account the fact that when women leave the workforce to have kids and they come back, they never have the same trajectory, typically, that they had before they left. The study dives in here. The women who were highly educated and more likely to work from home were among those most likely to be in the workforce now versus pre-pandemic. So again, offering new opportunities to women to work remotely. As other researchers found, the ability to work remotely may also have led more families to decide to have more babies. Uh, And so that's one aspect Uh, here that they're going to dive deeper into. Advocates for women in the workforce have long argued that more flexibility at work would allow mothers to hang on to their jobs. It's easy to understand why. You can think about the various scenarios that if you're able to telework, you can handle a call from daycare to come pick up a feverish child, manage a midday doctor appointment, take someone to a play date. If you can't get that type of flexibility, you're more likely to leave a high-demand full-time job to go part-time or exit the workforce entirely. The other obvious issue here, Jill, is inflation, which is leading some people to take on jobs just to pay for everything as everything has gotten more expensive. Yeah, a lot of families need two incomes uh, to make ends meet. A couple of losses from the world of music this weekend that we wanted to mark here on the podcast. From People Magazine, Jimmy Buffett, whose sun-drenched songs celebrated life by the shore, died of a rare, aggressive skin cancer, according to a statement on his website this weekend. Buffett was 76 years old. He had Merkel cell cancer and had been fighting that cancer for four years while continuing to perform. He last made a surprise appearance in Rhode Island for a concert in July. Merkel cell carcinoma is a very rare attempt to spread very quickly, including the parts of the body beyond the skin. According to the Mayo Clinic, risk factors include a lot of sun exposure, a weakened immune system, a history of other cancers, and being light-skinned and over the age of 50. About 3,000 new cases of Merkel cell carcinoma are diagnosed each year in the U.S. Buffett was celebrated across the world after that announcement of his death Saturday, including in Key West, Florida, where fans held a second-line tribute marching down the main drag. Buffett was born in Mississippi in 1946. At the age of 26, a frustrated Nashville country artist, he found his muse when he moved to Key West, Florida in 1972, leaving behind a failed marriage and a stalled career. 
He was surrounded by blue water. He donned Hawaiian shirts, cut off shorts and flip-flops, grabbed an old blender, and embraced the quirky beach community with his musical soul. His commercial breakthrough was the 1977 release Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes, which featured his only top 10 hit, the mellow and wistful sing-along Margaritaville. You probably have never been to a karaoke night without somebody singing Margaritaville. Described by Rolling Stone as Rock's romantic poet pirate, he became a guru for parrot heads, the millions of fans who followed him in his band, the Coral Reefers, on their annual sold-out cross-country tours. One of my close friends from college would have Buffett on repeat all the time. I checked on him this weekend, uh, and he was actually uh, teaching his young daughters uh, to sing a couple of uh, Buffett's famous tunes, Margaritaville, Cheeseburger in Paradise. By the way, Buffett did an interview a few years ago with 60 Minutes over on CBS, and he said that he wrote Margaritaville in six minutes, uh, that it was, quote, just another song going on the album, you know? That's the way I looked at them. And never in my wildest dreams did I ever think it would do what it did. Never. It's so interesting. I feel like Billy Joel once said that about Piano Man. Maybe not that he wrote it in six minutes, but it was sort of a throwaway song on one of his albums. It's always amazing when you dig into the history of this and you, and you speak to the artists and you're like, you're a biggest hit. Did you think it was going to be your biggest hit? And, you know, majority of the time, they're like, no, it was just like a, it was an extra song. Like, who, who knew we would get the traction that it did? Uh, his uh, musical repertoire had this contagious sense of fun, adventure, uh, but he was also an incredible businessman. Forbes magazine estimates his worth at more than $500 million. Uh, His brand, the Margaritaville brand, uh, led to the opening of a string of Margaritaville-themed stores, restaurants at Key West, then across the country with all these Margaritaville cafes. You also then have Margaritaville in dozens of categories, resorts, apparel, footwear for men and women, a radio station, a beer brand, iced tea, tequila, rum, home decor, salad dressing, Uh, Jill, the list goes on. Jimmy Buffett, really just amazing when it came to business acumen. And, you know, you can't go anywhere without hearing, seeing something Margaritaville these days. It's five o'clock somewhere. I feel like that's like literally in every bar you go to. Yeah, any bar you go to around the world, you're going to hear Bob Marley. You're going to (laughs) hear Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. And Jill, people, you know, love it. And and one thing that, you know, despite the fact that he became, you know, wealthy beyond his dreams and would hobnob with other celebrities, he kept the low-key appeal, right? And he never appeared to change who he was. And that includes the feeling you get in his restaurants that, you know, he's not serving uh, filet mignon. That, you know, he's serving a burger, he's serving fries, he's keeping it like it always was. Uh, we also lost another well-known singer this weekend, Steve Harwell, the longtime frontman of the Grammy-nominated pop rock band Smash Mouth that was behind the mega hit All-Star. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, he passed away at the age of 56, the band's manager saying that Quote, he passed peacefully and comfortably Monday morning, surrounded by family and friends at his home in Boise, Idaho. The cause of death was acute liver failure. Smash Mouth, also known for hits, including Walking on the Sun and Then the Morning Comes. Jill, obviously, All Star, probably the most memorable of those as it became the theme song for Shrek. I think that's what people would most connect uh, the band, the song with. Uh, At the same time, you know, Harwell continued to tour. Uh, They considered themselves a rock band, uh, though he did deal with drug and alcohol issues in his latter years and then left the tour in 2021. 
Um, And we also want to mention former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson passed away at the age of 75. Yeah, another loss this weekend, not from music, but from politics. Uh, Richardson, uh, best known as the uh, governor from New Mexico, uh, also served as energy secretary under President Clinton. And then in latter years, effectively became the go-to person for White Houses uh, to send to dictators to try to release Americans in North Korea, in Russia. He worked on the Brittany Griner case uh, all around the world, Iran. uh, Up until uh, the last few weeks, he's been actively working to save jailed Americans abroad, working with um, rogue leaders, rogue regimes to try to strike deals uh, to get people home. And that's something that really became his legacy in recent years. All right, now time for On This Day in History. We're going to begin in 1955. On this day, the first Waffle House opened in Avondale Estates, Georgia. Next up, in 1960, a boxer known as Cassius Clay, who would eventually become known as Muhammad Ali, won the gold medal at the 1960 Olympic Games in Rome on this day and then would embark on his career that would see him becoming one of the sport's most legendary competitors, really beyond boxing, just an American icon. Staying with Olympics news here on this day in 1972, at the Olympic Village in Munich, Germany, at the Summer Games, Palestinian terrorists took hostages, eventually killing 11 members of the Israeli team. Jill, at last year's Olympics, uh, they marked the 50th anniversary of this tragedy. On this day in 1975, Lynette Squeaky Frome, a follower of Charles Manson, attempted to assassinate President Gerald Ford. There were actually several assassination attempts on Gerald Ford. Uh, She actually held up a gun to the president. It did not go off. Uh, She would be tackled, sent to prison. She was released, though, a few years ago. And finally, we turn to a bit of music news on this day in history. Turning 37 years old today, one of my wife's favorite songs, Paul Simon's You Can Call Me Al, released on this day in 1986. (laughs) Jill, the iconic music video of him in Chevy Chase, Uh, though Paul Simon has said that this is one of the songs that he hates having to play at concerts. Like this is one of the songs that is his least favorite and yet is a fan favorite. And yet he feels obligated to play. But he's like, at this point in my life, why am I still playing this? I don't even like this song. TFB, Paul Simon. Give the people what they want to (laughs) hear. And finally, one more thing that people want to hear, turning 25 years old today, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith, reached number one on the charts today. Mosh from Armageddon um, with a very young Ben Affleck. Yes, this is the theme song to if a meteor or comet is ever hearted our way and we blow it up, <laughs> you have to play this song. Uh, that's the connection. A young Liv Tyler, of course, in the in the movie as well, uh, where this was effectively the theme song. Jill, 1998, for those who know, you would see the song replay on TRL over and over again. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will help us grow. We would really appreciate it. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And thanks to all of you who joined Mo News Premium over the weekend. It's a way to support what we're doing. Also get extra content. We did a deep dive over the weekend on what's up with cable. What's up with streaming? Why does it cost so much? Why do 15 million of us not have ABC and ESPN right now? Uh, And so we went into that charter spectrum versus Disney dispute, what it says about cable, streaming. We're talking to you about it. 
Uh, we did a deep dive from the media perspective, from the consumer perspective. So you can check that all out right now if you become a Mo News Premium member over at mo.news slash premium. We have a 30-day free trial with the code Mo News Trial. And again, you get extra podcasts, you get extra Instagram content, and you support what we're doing here at Mo News. Most you forgot the best part. The Mo News quiz, the quiz at the end of the week that yours truly somehow managed to fail terribly. And I'm a pretty good test taker, or I was back in the day. Somehow I managed to, I don't even, I don't even know if I want to admit this because I feel like I'm going to lose credibility. You just missed a few. I missed a, I missed a couple of questions, which goes to show that they are um, pretty hard. Jill, some people find them hard. Some of those who are really paying attention uh, got an eight out of nine. Uh, some people actually said it was easier this week. What? But yes, we do do a weekly Mo News quiz over on the premium account. Uh, and that's another way to partake in what you're doing and test your knowledge. Haven't you been listening closely enough? Again, that's over on the premium Instagram account. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.